Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help. Or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you're listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Today, I'm very excited for my special guest. She is the Vice President of Program Delivery and Sustainability for Sandy Hook Promise, as well as just a change maker. So Paula Finbo, welcome Paula. Thank you, LaShonda. I'm excited to have you here. Um, This is going to be a great conversation, but I'm going to start like I do with all of my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? Mm, My labor of love. How would you, do you have like a, how would you define labor of love? I think I know what I want to say, but I want to hear your definition. Absolutely. And I love that. So I think I define a labor of love as a thing or things that you feel committed to uh, executing, thinking about, delivering that may or may not be connected to what you do for an occupation, but that you feel uh, create sustainable contributions to the world at large. I love it. So my, I am not changing my answer then. That's what I, I thought <laughs> what a labor of love was. And I would answer that by just saying I'm an, I'm an organizer through and through. And so organizing and building relationships, building local leadership capacity connections on a day-to-day basis and doing it in a way that reflects my values in a way that I believe will make the world a more just place, a more equitable place, a place that sees and recognizes and celebrates strengths and diversity of all people, regardless of title, income, you know, and that everyone has you know, where they believe a place at the table and a voice can be heard um, is my labor of love and looking at ways to do that, both big and small. Um, I've had the opportunity to make a career out of using those skills, whether it was called an organizer or not in different roles, but it's also, you know, who I show up as when no one's looking or the books I choose to read on the weekends. It's just, that's, that's, I think in my DNA and that's my labor of love. Now I appreciate that so much. And I've said so many times on the podcast, like how fortunate and blessed people like you and I are that we literally get to make money being ourselves. Yeah. We show up in the world as our genuine selves and we, we don't have to, Uh, make a living doing something outside of that. And I think that is amazing. So can you tell us a little bit about how this became a labor of love? Where is all of this organizing, relationship building, leadership development, where is that rooted for you? 
That's really interesting. You know, I grew up in a really small town and there weren't a lot of, you know, opportunities or exposure to different career, different ways of thinking. But I think even within there, I didn't know the words for organizing or being an organizer, leadership development at the time. But I think that's where the first threads started to show up in terms of bringing together, you know, um, people from, you know, different towns, you know, all around to connect and looking for ways to um, be kind to people and creating almost more of a atmosphere where that could be celebrated versus the other way around. And then um, went to college and it was my senior year of college that I worked in a homeless shelter in North Minneapolis and where I saw so many of the families we served. It was supposed to serve um, women and children um, and young um, boys you know, over the age of 16, weren't supposed to stay there. They had to leave their family and go stay at, you know, adult homeless shelters and seeing that trauma, seeing families come in the shelter, leave the shelter, come back in through no fault of their own, but broken systems, um, systemic structural racism. It was my, I guess, like first awakening and propelled me to change my major from social work, where typically, you know, in not all social work, but a lot of social work can be more individual case management, working with the person to organizing. I wanted to organize to challenge those systems and processes and to give people a voice in um in changing those systems and processes like i'm a huge now um you know worked for a long time and civic engagement and running get out the vote campaigns but i didn't vote for a number of years within that because i thought like okay policymakers politicians they don't they don't take and consider they don't ask you know like the folks that i was working with in in the homeless shelter how are they, you know, invited into the process to inform policies and city structure and resources and infrastructure that serve them? And I thought like, oh, the heck, you know, with the whole process. And then as I became more of an organizer looking for ways to kind of try to change and challenge those power dynamics so that the experiences and input of, of many different voices can be part of shaping that work. And that, that's so key. Um, voice for the voiceless is, is a very important thing um, when we begin to recognize that there are uh, certain voices that are very structurally and systemically eliminated and erased from the conversation. What I'm interested in, just because you and I are friends and I know you, is I think it is accurate to say that when a person first meets Paula, there is an assumption of very soft-spokenness. Um, I don't know that people would go as far as, say, as to say shy, but I will be honest that extroverted people like myself confuse the two all the time. <laughs> we think shy and quiet or reserved mean they, they're interchangeable. So I now, having a very um, 
in, I don't even know if he's an introvert, but my husband has taught me a lot, that those are not all interchangeable and he's not at all shy, though he is quiet and reserved. So I, what I found so fascinating is this big, big, big work that you do and you immerse yourself in. And I'm curious about how that plays out with your natural personality and how you show up in the world. And I, I could be wrong, but I bet you probably get underestimated a lot. That is so funny. I was just having that conversation with somebody last week because um, I think it is. I think people see me. I have, um, you know, the, these big eyes and that make me look kind of like shy or, you know, um, or, or maybe just like kind of sweeter than, than what I really am on the inside. <laughs> and then a soft voice. And I think um, you know, in my demeanor too, I, I think, you know, it's, you know, it's easier to attract flies with honey than it is with um, medicine. And so, you know, using and kind of leaning into that to build those relationships. But I think a lot of times uh, when folks meet me, especially in, you know, work, business capacity, they think like, oh, wow, she seems nice. And she's done this and that, but can she stand up for herself? You know, can she advocate for herself? And um, I think, you know, especially being as a woman, you know, looking at different ways of what strength can mean. Um, and that doesn't necessarily need to be loud and pushy. You know, I like to think of, you know, when I go into conversations you know, starting with like, what is my true north? Who am I? What am I not going to compromise on? But also, how do I have this conversation so that I'm true to my values, but so that I, you know, thinking about what is the relationship I want to have with this person once the conversation's over, you know? And so as an organizer, I might not agree, but I'm looking for different threads to bring people along, you know, to introduce of like, okay, maybe we can't get to point, you know, why in this conversation, but let's get to point like G, you know, and, and keep building for that. Um, but yeah, it is, um, it is, you know, I think I, I saw once a quote of like, you know, underestimate me, that'll be fun or something like that. And, and, you know, there have been times throughout my career when I can see, you know, where I just know because it's, it's been like this most of my life where I can say, oh, yeah, that person thinks I'm a bit of a doormat. You know, that's cool. I don't have to prove myself. And then there'll be a point in our relationship or in the work where all of a sudden they're just like, okay, damn, I get it. <laughs> so exactly. it's, 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 it's kind of fun. Yeah, I... I just, I think about that in so many ways, you know, before we started recording what I said to you is you are one of the most understated, hilarious people that I've ever met in my life. <laughs> like you just don't expect that amount of just fun and humor to come out of you when you just kind of are seeing you from a distance. And so what I love is that we were able to kind of get to know each other personally throughout our work. So a good segue into kind of the work you do now and how we met, we met through Sandy Hook Promise. Um, so can you tell my listeners a little bit about uh, who and what Sandy Hook Promise is? Yes. Uh, so Sandy Hook Promise um, we are a nonprofit organization that was founded after the tragic mass shooting in Sandy Hook Elementary School. And since the inception, since the founding of the tragedy in 
December of 2014, we have grown to be a national organization. We have trained well over 12 million people in our programs that are geared at preventing violence before it happens. And what has been personally very rewarding to me, you know, coming as an organizer of the way the organization has evolved from, from trainings uh, to creating more of a culture shift. And so, you know, specifically working with, through our SAVE, Students Against Violence Everywhere clubs, so that we're sustaining the trainings that we started. It's, you know, a lot of like looking at, um, the seeds that we planted and how do you grow and nurture them, you know, specifically by, um, you know, building youth leadership, elevating youth voice so that they are the ones on a day-to-day basis, you know, in their schools, um, looking out for each other, you know, who's seeming distance, um, who seems like they might not be included or something's going on. How do I, either the power I have, I have as an individual reach out and connect with them or how do I working within this club or, you know, collective action, how do we show we care and bring this person in and show that we are looking out for each other, that we're upstanders, that if we see something happening, that's either creating, you know, injustice or potential violence, we have the power to say something in changing and, you know, really nurturing that um, power dynamic so that, you know, we're building a culture of young leaders who then go out, you know, go back to their homes and continue to work in their schools and their communities to be this force of change. Yeah, it's, it's such beautiful work. I can remember, well, when I say the day, actually, I can get pretty close. I remember how I came to know um, about Sandy Hook Promise, SHP. And I think the beauty of this story is um, that we as people draw people into work. Like we, we represent so much of the work. So I'd never heard about Sandy Hook Promise, but I, so this was, would have been 2015. I had gone on vacation. I actually had come back from my honeymoon and I had a voicemail from someone saying, hey, we're having this panel discussion um, led by, I think it was, um, uh, Mental Health America, and it was called Before Stage 4, or yeah, Before Stage 4, I think it was called, and it was paralleling how we don't wait till someone gets to stage 4 cancer before we intervene, and how with things like mental health, we need to intervene, and so I got this voicemail from a person I knew about being on this panel, and I have to tell you, like, in my trajectory of my story, at this point, while I was honored, I had no idea what I had to contribute. Right. Because I was going to be on the panel with, you know, Dr. Whomsoever and, you know, Mark, who is, you know, the co-founder of this Internet, you know, this national organization. I'm like, okay, (laughs) Right. So um, I had the call. What is this about? And as a side note, I was not aware of my gifts at the time Mm -hmm. um, in the way that I am now. And how I began to become more aware of them is because people pointed them out to me. And so I think that is important for people listening, that just because you don't see the gift doesn't mean it's not there. But also when you see something in someone else, point it out, because we sometimes assume they know, like, oh, they're awesome. Of course they know they're awesome. Chances are they don't know they're awesome, right? Right. So tell them. So I come, I'm on this panel, and that is when I met Mark. 
that's when I met you. Mm-hmm. And when I heard about, and Mark, like I said, one of the co-founders of SHP, um, he lost his son in that tragedy and he spoke. And when he talked about his story and the work of SHP, I just remember having a very distinct thought. I want to be a part of that. Mm. That, that was it. I, I, that's amazing. I want to be a part of that. And I remember coming to you, Paula, and saying like, hey, I, I got some gifts. <laughs> I have some talents and I would like to use them for the work that you all are doing. And, you know, I don't think we knew what that meant at the time. Really, at the time, there were only two options. It was like a, a, a promise presenter or a promise leader or organizer. And that is definitely not my gift, let me tell you. So it's like, oh, presenting. I do that all the time. And that began this beautiful relationship that grew and emerged into um, some wonderful work. I've traveled (laughs) across this wonderful country talking to kids and youth. One of my favorite things, though, that I love the most is when I got to participate in um, developing other presenters. Mm-hmm. meeting these amazing people who would then go out to meet with these youth and present and and the team that we assembled to do that we're just awesome people like those this is still my crew right and so yeah. Andre and Alex <clears throat> they're a duo to me you know so not you know combined at the hip I want them to be on the podcast one day Alex and I still talk Sharice out in Florida like there's just yeah. this really amazing group of people so How does your organizing, your labor of love, your leadership development, all of these things that you've talked to us about, how does that play out in your work with Sandy Hook Promise? Yeah, I think going back to how you started that conversation of, you know, the way that we are able, I forget the exact words you used, but somehow like the way that we're able to bring people in um, or or attract people to the work. And I think that, you know, that might be like the flip side or the light side to sometimes, you know, people, you know, underestimating me is that when I make that ask, um, it doesn't feel intimidating. You know, it's like, okay, okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that, soft spoken person asked me to do something and sure I you know I don't want to hurt her feelings so I'll say yes I get that a lot of people just saying that it's really hard to say no to me and um and I I I take that LaShonda I take that as one of my superpowers um because it gives me an opportunity to meet people where they're at you know um based on where they are in that you know daytime instance um but it is enough to say I want to be part of something and maybe you don't know what that is and for a lot of us I don't think we know what that is but it's about having that kind of faith to take the first step of like, okay, I can do this. Um, and then it, it starts to evolve, you know, like I, I mentioned the seed analogy, you know, it grows into a plant and that has branches that touch other people. And, you know, through that work, you know, with Andre, Alex, LaShonda, you know, Brandon, like all, all these like amazing connections of people who have just like this crazy cool talent of connecting and you know and by seeing 
the training program, which is one of my favorite things to work on. And we've grown so much. That's the, that's the flip side is I don't get to spend a lot of time there anymore, but to see those relationships flourish, you know, to see, um, you know, what you're doing now and, you know, all of the work um, of how you're using your voice and, you know, people all over the country, whether they're still, you know, intimately involved with Sandy Hook Promise or not, you know, they're using their talent in a way to bring people along, to move people along. You know, I think of like Sharice, she doesn't do that much training for us anymore, but she started this organization working with, um, you know, youth in, in South Florida, you know, a lot of, um, youth have experienced trauma, but they trust her. They go to her, you know, in a way that they might not, you know, seek out kind of the counsel or advice or wisdom of other adults. And that's what she's doing in her local community to let young people know that they matter, that they have a voice, that their life is important. And you know, even by sowing those seeds, you know, she's not going to know the direct impact she makes there and those youth might grow up and, you know, be the age that we are now and start doing the same, you know, that I think that is also just something really cool, you know, as an organizer or a person who gets to meet with, you know, a lot of different people that, you know, I don't know what folks do, you know, with that, you know, but um, having faith that it creates kind of this, this bigger tribe of people who, you know, trust their voice, um, know that they have something to share in the world and do it, you know, for the betterment of the world. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, as you were talking, something that came up for me is what I appreciated about SHP was that it became kind of my really first example of the merging of two totally different worldviews as I saw it. So I had experienced like organization and kind of get it done mentalities from a very corporate, um, you know, for-profit perspective. And then I had experienced the, you know, the kind-hearted, mission-driven, but not very organized and get it done. And those were two totally separate worlds, right? Which I think in my mind created this, this division of like, okay, if you really want to get it done, have accomplishment and really make an impact, there was kind of this very dog eat dog, you know, err, <laughs> if you can translate yep. like, err, right? Yep. And then there was this, oh, they're so kind and they're, they have such good purpose, but eh, it kind of falters and, you know, loses momentum. And then there was SHP that combined those two worlds for me of like, we are mission oriented and driven, and this is what we're going for. And like, I, I have met so many just amazing people through SHP and, and we're getting it done and we're organized and er, and all of that got put together. And it was like, wow, like, this is a thing. This is a, a very well organized, well oiled machine that is moving with purpose and passion that will help humanity. What? Like, that's a thing. Yeah, that and is it was so cool. cool. And when I think about my time in California, my time in Boston, my time in Chicago, developing leaders, like there is something, I, I, I think I knew, I was a trainer already, right? And mm -hmm. in, in the capacity in which I worked at a community mental health agency. 
But it was something about that work that I was able to do with SHP to get these group of awesome people and help them hone their skill, deliver a two minute, who am I, which is harder mm-hmm. than a lot of people think, right? You help them develop that. I, I credit being able to do this work with SHP with truly igniting that fire in me that helped me recognize that I can do that, that I can impact the lives of these people who have something in them and I can help draw it out so they can go be the best versions of themselves. And so thank you for the role you had in that. And, you know, and everyone at SHP um, who just kind of gave me that opportunity to really, you know, hone, hone that skill that I'm now using every single day, (laughs) every single day, I get to do that. Yeah. And see, now you said a little earlier that you're not an organizer, but that is exactly what you described to me. What an organizer is, is, you know, tapping into that. Why, you know, like, why do you get up and, you know, so that's your labor of love. You know, I guess the organizers would just say, you know, what's your why, you know? Um, But, but knowing, you know, what is, what is it in you that gets you up every day, you know, that makes you feel alive. And some of us, we're not using it yet, but we have a glimmer, you know, we have those interactions or those feelings where it's like, that felt really good, you know? And so that's where I think we all, you know, have that responsibility to pay attention of like, what are those things that, you know, make our, um, you know, our hair stand up on our arms and how do we follow that and following it in a way, you know, of also what you said, um, that is so, that is true to you, that is true to your voice, that is true to your expertise. Cause I think that is, you know, a growing, um, you know, we're in this, this time of transformation and growth in our country and it is, you know, messy and, um, it is, it is filled with trauma, you know, in that reckoning. And at the same time, I do believe that, you know, there is a space where we as a whole are starting to recognize the values and contributions, um, the different voices, you know, different people in the room that might not have been, um, you know, at the table in in the past, particularly as as it relates to racial justice and racial equity and the opportunity that is in front of us all now as organizers, um, no matter how we tap into our why or our labor of love, um, to elevate, you know, people's voices, people's leadership, particularly underserved, like women, people of color, um, LGBTQ communities, to help shape this new narrative of what is possible and uh, how those, you know, different strengths, different voices just give strength and voice to even more people because it doesn't have to be that, you know, typical, you know, as you described it, kind of these two models, this typical kind of girl or culture that if you want to get stuff done, you got to do it this way, you know, which can feel like very much as part of like the white patriarchy, you know, but in a way that really works with the strengths um, and the unique experiences of community. And that's a good point. I, I respect that. You know, when I hear organizer, this is also my concrete brain sometimes, I immediately go to logistics. I hate 
Yeah. Logistics. Okay. In case I've never said that before, I hate logistics. I do. It. You know, I can be honest. I. I. You know how I will know when I've quote unquote arrived, when I don't have to manage my own calendar. That's it, y'all. I don't even have these super super high. Like I just don't want to manage my own calendar anymore. I want people to be like, oh, this is where you're going next, and I just walk out and get in the car, and someone takes me there. So anyway. I don't like logistics, even in my everyday life. Note what, to self, do wear not today? ask LaShonda to bring the breakfast. No, <laughs> you know, small tasks I can do. Yeah, I, I don't like it. Can I do it? Sure. Do I like it? No. But when you reframed organizing in the way that you did, it's like, oh, then yes. <laughs> then yes, I, I guess I am in some way an organizer. And that's, I think the beauty of conversation, it's the beauty of dialogue um, Mm -hmm. in that we can use one word, five people can use one word and have five different perspectives. And so I love like how when you reframed it, I'm like, okay, I can definitely see that. Um, So I appreciate that. I think another thing that I definitely want to shout out SHP for in regards to just providing the opportunity is I learned through my work with SHP how to truly be an adventurer. Mm. And it was something that maybe was always in me, but I didn't have a lot of opportunities. But there's something about, you know, just knowing you're going to a place you've never been, uh, a state, a city you've never been, and you, what are you going to do, right? And I always wanted to explore, so it's like, what's here? This is cool. So I've done things in, in community with those that I'm with. But one of my favorite memories, just in general, in my life, is when we were in Boston training a group of Promise presenters. And I was super excited. And even though I don't like logistics, I'm like, hey, we're in Boston and let's do something. So like, what are we going to do? And we had a, like one person was from Boston, you know, the person we're connecting with. And mm-hmm. we decided we we're going to go see a baseball game at Fenway. And I was super excited. And then the day came and everybody bailed on me. <laughs> so it was like, you know, for, and they were legitimate reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Someone didn't feel well and tired, just didn't want to go. And I remember coming to a decision point, like, am I going to not do this thing because everyone else is not doing it? Or am I still going to do it? And when I decided I'm gonna still do it. That was one of the most fun times I have ever had by myself. I go down to Fenway and one, I'm not prepared for the number of people who are trying to sell me tickets who do not work for Fenway. And at, especially at the time, like, I don't know how to say no to people. Like, it's really bad. It's why I don't walk past kiosks directly in the mall. Like, I'm a sucker. (laughs) So it's like all these people trying to sell me a ticket. And then, you know, is this legal? And then the one part. So anyway, I didn't end up doing that. But I got a $9 standing only ticket. That was the thing. Because here's the thing. I don't like baseball. (laughs) So I wasn't going to see the game. I was going because I was in Boston. And go see Fenway, right? So when they said we have a bench ticket for like $45 or a standing only ticket for $9, I'm like, uh, $9, please. I get this ticket, I go in, and then they have this welcome center. And it's like, oh, it's your, I'm like, hey, it's my first time. It's her first time. They gave me a button and <laughs> some, awesome. some 
sand or something from Fenway. You know, they have this whole thing. And so I'm walking around. Now I have a standing only ticket that's way up in the, the nosebleeds, but I don't really care about the game. I'm, I'm just walking around. I go into the, the souvenir shops. I'm looking at all this stuff. And at one point I go and I just want to see the field. So I go to one of these super close places and I go and I'm just taking in, taking in the scenery. And there was an usher there. And he looked at me and he said, hi, I said, hi. Um, and we start talking and you know, what's going on? I was like, you know, I really just wanted to get, uh, get a different view. And he's really funny. So he like turned to one side and was like, how's this view? How's this view? You know, and it's like, <laughs> oh, you know, so we're just talking. And that's when he saw my pen. It's like, oh, it's your first time. Are you from here? I'm like, no, this is where I'm from. Why are you here? Here on work. And you know, it was good. And then he's like, oh man, I really wish I had a seat I could give you. You know, and I was like, it's okay. And he's like, wait a minute. So he walks over to this, these two gentlemen and says some words to them. And then next thing you know, he comes back. He's like, I got a seat for you. So I went from my $9 standing only, I don't even know where I was supposed to be standing <laughs> to watch this game, to being right pretty much behind first base, like ridiculous seats. So I'm sitting there like, oh, this is cool. And then the guy next to me, I remember him, his name was Jamie. And he's like, hey, I really kind of wanted to sit on the end. Do you mind? I'm like, Jamie, I paid $9 for a standing only seat. You can sit wherever you want to. <laughs> so we switch seats. And then I'm next to a gentleman and his son who's really into it because he has this paper. He's like marking down all the runs and the outs and things that I can't even talk intelligently about. And it was just amazing. And then the seventh inning came and they sang Sweet Caroline. And it was this thing that was like, what is happening, right? It was just this huge experience. And to be to be honest, I'm not trying to diss Cincinnati, but the Reds aren't good. And I've been <laughs> to some Reds games. And I realized that it is different to going to a baseball game in Cincinnati than it is in Boston, where they're an actual sports town, like an actual game. So it, I, I still have the video that I watch whenever it pops up in my memories of like all of these people singing this song and just this feeling of like, wow. And what I remember thinking as I kind of caught my Uber back, it's like, I would have missed out on this mm -hmm. experience completely if I had just been like, oh, everybody's not going. And how terrifying it is to my mother that I venture out by myself mm -hmm. <laughs> in places, but how much I appreciate just being able to move into adventure. So I love the story. That's why I told it. And it's funny because one of our programs that we train youth on is called Start With Hello. And I remember saying, I went from a $9 sitting seat, standing seat to whatever, how much ever this seat cost because I started with hello. I was just friendly and talking to people. But it, I just hope what people hear is that like we have so much more strength and creativity and adventure within us. And I think some of us are willing to acknowledge because it's scary to kind of venture out there mm -hmm. on your own. But I have had some truly amazing experiences in places that were completely unknown to me um, because I was willing to kind of lean into curiosity and adventure in a way that, you know, I don't always do. So I appreciate SHP for like providing the, the launch pad for me to, to explore some of that. Yeah, I think um, that is awesome. That is a great story. 
And I think always be your own best friend, you know, like, like I like hanging out with myself. Um, I really miss being able to travel and that, you know, adventure. Um, you know, I love my husband he's my best friend and we live in a, you know, 750 square foot apartment in DC and I don't have a lot of alone time anymore, but there is some, some of that magic of just being able to, I don't mean like escape in a bad way, but just follow your curiosity and, you know, spend the day in, in a new place and seeing things, you know, different. I always love to travel alone um, or just even if we're traveling together, have some time where I can just be alone, like walking the streets, looking at the architecture, you know, taking in some kind of scenes. And it might just be three hours, but it feels like, you know, in terms of like the mental health, like what I get out of it just feels like it could have been days, you know, that I've been doing that. And I haven't been doing that enough lately, um, you know, with COVID. And um, maybe that'll be my kind of challenge for myself coming off of this podcast is how do I find more ways to be curious and to explore when, um, when where we have to explore is much more restricted than we've than I've ever experienced before. I like that challenge. I feel like I want to I want to join you on that challenge and just thinking about like you said, you know, how do we explore? And one thing that you you love hanging out with yourself. You know, I remember um a point in time years ago before I started kind of my own personal healing journey. And I remember thinking if I wasn't me, would I be my friend? Would Mm. I like me? Mm. And I didn't come up with a definitive answer, but it definitely wasn't a hard, like, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and I don't think it's because I didn't like myself. I honestly think what it was is that I recognized without having the words that I was inauthentic. Mm. And I've, I've, inauthentic people um, don't create a sense of safety for me Yeah, because you never know who you're going to get. And I think without knowing it, I recognize that in myself. Well, since I've started my healing journey, there have become times and like a couple of years ago, I revisited that question. It came back up for me and I thought, absolutely. Yes. I can honestly say I love me. Like if I wasn't me, I would want to be friends with me, like best friends, like, Mm -hmm. and not just, you know, like to try to get free therapy. No, I would want to hang out with me. I would want to just, you know, tap into my humor and my ability to, you know, have deep conversations. And so with that, I have truly, I enjoy time with myself. And whether it's local or when I'm traveling, I love having dinner by myself. Yes. To eat. And I don't pick up my phone and go, no, I love observing. I I watch people and I make up stories and I'm convinced that I'm usually really accurate in my storytelling and some, yeah, I just, one of the last times I remember specifically traveling with SHP, I went to Rhode Island and I remember one having some of the best clam chowder in my life, Um, even better than when I was in Boston. But anyway, 
that's a whole different story. <laughs> but just sitting there and and just observing, it was a nice ambiance. And I try to go to local restaurants, mm-hmm. not chain restaurants, right? Yeah. So it's just you take in the community, the atmosphere, and sitting there and not at all feeling self-conscious or just enjoying my own company and watching the things that are happening. And so I, I just hope that can be encouragement to someone who's listening, right? Yeah. We're not trying to minimize the impact that COVID has had, the restrictions, the challenges of daily life, but also acknowledging that there is, a, there is some exploration that can happen literally in your own home. Mm-hmm. Like how we can be there, but sometimes, when's the last time you just explored your space mm-hmm. or your neighborhood or your city or your community in a way that can be socially distant and safe but still spark this uh curiosity yeah and I think what you said of um kind of that authenticity so I think if you'd ask me like what is one trait that I value most about other human beings it's that authenticity and and how do we find that because like being authentic in our relationships and intentional in our relationships I think it gives other people the chance to do that too like there's nothing also like hanging out with somebody who you just feel is so real and totally themselves and how that fills up my cup and um, yeah, and I think that is, you know, um, I've been having a lot of conversations, you know, with my husband about this, of just who do we want to be on the other side of this, whatever that looks like. And um, now as COVID has started to hit, you know, closer to home, and we've known people who are battling it or who've been diagnosed with COVID, it's definitely not, you know, to make light of it. but. I think with any challenge, any trauma, um, you have to go through the trauma. But there's also this sense of like, how is this going to shape me in a way that I can be more intentional or I will show up in this world, you know, differently and walking, you know, um, among that and holding both, you know, holding both the trauma as well as the opportunity and the curiosity to move through that in your hands at the same time is, it's not always comfortable, but it, I think that's where I've had my biggest, um, my biggest breakthroughs just as a human being, you know, of, of kind of who, who I want to be, you know, whether that's, what is valued or appreciated by somebody else or not, because, you know, that's who I have to spend the most time with is myself. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Relationships come and go. This one sticks around. Yeah. Yeah. Find a shaker for a while, but she keeps coming back. (laughs) Yeah. I think authenticity is extremely important but I also want to talk about like the challenges to authenticity. I know I've experienced them and that happens often when a person constantly receives messages through media, social media, their family, the things they are told about themselves and the things they're not told about themselves that leave them feeling inadequate, not enough. You know, if the dominant narrative is so different than you, Uh, that it makes sense that a person would think I'm not good enough because all of the portrayals I've seen 
are people who don't look like me, don't sound like me, don't have the same values as me. And so what I have found to be very helpful is uh, three questions. I've named these questions before, but I think it would be a good reminder. Who told me that? Is it true? And who benefits from me believing it? Mm-hmm. And if we can start to ask ourselves those questions, even about ourselves, who told me my I wasn't pretty enough? Who told me that? Is, is it true? It, who benefits from me believing that? Mm-hmm. Who, you know, who told me that I, I have to engage with the world in this way, that I have to be uh, extroverted or I have to do this? Like, is that true? Who benefits from that? And so I hope that, you know, after hearing Paula and I talk, that people feel empowered to befriend themselves. Because it's a relationship you stuck with, like, forever. You might as well get really comfy, cozy, and enjoy being with yourself. So I think that was such a great point um, that we were able to bring out. Paula, is there anything um, that you would like to tell the listeners before we wrap up um, about anything? Uh, I love those three questions, LaShonda. I wrote those down of just, you know, who, who told me that, you know, um, and, and I think the, the last question of, you know, and who does it benefit is particularly powerful um, as we all, you know, strive to both show up often, often, you know, with our authenticity and also show up different, you know, because I think what is possible in the world right now, especially in terms of racial justice and racial equity, that wasn't, that didn't even feel possible six months ago. Um, and competing against those narratives that you have to look a certain way, that you have to sound a certain way, that this style is effective and this isn't, um, of who benefits that to begin to change that power, um, the the definition of power, and um, also thinking through that of, you know, and am I either consciously or subconsciously giving somebody my power? Because I think, you know, Unfortunately, I don't think this is something you grow out of it. You know, I still feel this way, you know, in my professional settings and many things of like, you know, Paula, you know, you need to present information differently to be heard or you need to say it this way to be heard. And it's like at the end of the day, we have to present things in a way that are authentic to ourselves and that, you know, is an honest portrayal of what we are bringing to the table and recommending. And, and I think also, you know, being an ally and looking for, you know, when people are, you know, presenting or sharing or showing up with their authentic voice and having their back um, so that they are not going through the same things of, you know, the, uh, of your questions alone, but they have somebody to be like, nope, I hear you. I see you. And, and let's, let's join forces and get this done in a way that feels right for us. Yes, I love that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So if someone was listening and are very intrigued, um, they want to know more about you or SHP, how can people find you and get in touch with you? I probably the best way to find me is on LinkedIn, which I think is linkedin.com slash Paula Finbo. And Finbo is spelled F is in Frank, Y is in yellow, N is in Nancy, B is in boy, O is in Oscar. H is in horse. 
Uh, easier like than it looks. I do that often. <laughs> I do. I do. I do with a unique last name, but it's 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 um it's easier than it looks. Yes. So we will make sure we have that information in the contact notes for sure. And like I always do, I would love to round us out by hearing an interesting, fun, or little-known fact about you. Mm, that is a hard question. Um. Say that one more time. Yeah, an interesting, fun, or little known fact about you. I would say um, probably a, an unknown fact that only those who spend a lot of time around me um, get to know is that I make up little songs and rhymes and like sing my responses to people. <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to talk more so you can sing your response to me, Paula. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Paula, thank you so much for taking the time out to share your wisdom and your labor of love with us. I'm so glad that we got to share this time together. Oh, I was so honored you um, reached out and I was so nervous at the same time. So thank you. And um, Lashonda, wishing you and yours just a really, you know, um, season of gratitude and all good health, um, good, good people and, and authenticity. Thank you so much. Um, I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides the music for the Labors of Love podcast. As always, to my producer, Jay Sugg of Instant Classic Media, and for you, my listeners, so much gratitude I have for your willingness to spend this time listening uh, to my guest and myself. If you'd like to reach out to me, don't forget, uh, the website is www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. We have our YouTube channel where every Thursday we put out a Therapy Thursday video, so don't forget to subscribe. And the podcast, give us that five-star rating, write a review, share it with your friends. Um, until we connect again, you all be well.